How about you do it? Like any people who've just like visited the church today, like on holiday with friends, are like, what is this church's concept of gorgeous? <laughs> uh, right. Um, if you have a Bible, would you like to turn to the book of Acts in the New Testament? We're going to be looking at uh, chapter 2. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, that's fine. You can look over someone's shoulder or you can uh, follow on the screen. I'm going to read Acts chapter 2 from verse 14. Okay, ready? Here we go. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I'll not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you'll not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you'll not let your Holy One see decay. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God, had, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This passage is the, like the most amazing treat uh, for me anyway, um, and, and I hope for you, just, just as an exercise in admiring the scripture, admiring the word of God, there's just something marvelous to see of how God has brought this together, that today, right now, I can preach to you something that Luke wrote down. He wrote down what Peter preached. Peter preached what Joel had prophesied and what David had sung about, and the early church received this and realized this is, the, this is the breathed out word of God. Over the years, over kind of uh, receiving what's been written down, we just know, we, we've seen the evidence of what God does when this is, is shared. It's just a massive, um, a massive treat, and I'm sure, no doubt, that someone could make a, a decent PhD out of this uh, passage. Um, I'm, I'm going for something a little lower than that. Um, so we can marvel at the Word of God. We can, we can marvel at the occasion of God's people receiving the Spirit. And just think about it from Peter's point of view for a moment. He himself has just received the Spirit. And he'd write... Um, Gareth, Q, 1 Peter 1, verse 8. He would write later, and he would say, uh, in 1 Peter 1, uh, verse 8, though you've not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Peter can write about inexpressible and glorious joy because the Holy Spirit came that day. Inexpressible, it required all these different languages that we heard about last week. Just the people suddenly filled with the Spirit of God, declaring the wonders and the praises of God. I think Peter right there is just going, whoa, I'm overwhelmed with the Spirit at work and, and at work in all of us. And in that situation, he's, he's quickly got to stand up and explain it to everybody else. Perhaps when he's still kind of in the throes of being overcome himself. You know, I imagine that morning before nine o'clock, God's people, the 120, like gathering together, still a bit gloomy. Sun's not high in the sky. There's a knock on the door. Oh, oh come in, come in. Yeah. Um, uh, John's, preach, uh, John's praying at the moment. Come in. A little bit later on, there's another knock at the door. Open it, you see who it is. Oh yeah, come on, come in. And so we've got this, this prayer meeting, this diligent, wonderful, faithful, faith-filled prayer meeting, but it's possibly a little bit quiet. As everyone carefully takes their turn, Mary, pray for us. And they do. And then, the th that which they've been asking for comes upon them, in, in like mind-blowing, surprising power, and they realize God is in us, that the Holy Spirit is, is with us, that the time has come, it's here. The Lord said, 
wait for the gift you're about to receive. And, and now it's happened. This is awesome. And so this carefully organized, but possibly slightly quiet, indoor, private prayer meeting, like the doors are blown off. People are out on the street just glorifying God. There's no glass in the windows. People can hear all around. There's this crazy noise happening. Why? What's going on? These people look drunk. And so the very first sermon preached in the age of the Spirit is to explain why followers of Jesus aren't actually drunk. Even though there might be some similarity in how they're behaving at that moment, because suddenly they're disinhibited. God amongst them, it is uh, wonderful. And uh, obviously a huge amount probably has been said, probably has been written uh, about this passage uh, that I've read out. Our, our way of, um, of getting into it today is, is, is to find uh, one key verse. And I'll, I'll explain why I think it's a key verse in a bit. But the way we're going to do that is with a competition. So I'm, I'm up for about 10 people up at the front. Men, women, children, all you need is a paper copy of the Bible. None of this app nonsense, okay? Old school. This is a Bible, everybody. So if you've got one of these and you want to play a sword drill, me and Sam went to the Oaks uh, for a Dads and Lads uh, weekend in February, during which time we played this game, the, the sword drill. So there is going to be a winner, okay? And your job, if you win, is to not look like you were trying too hard. But I will allow you to return to your seat going, yes, okay? The, the subtle fist pump, you can do that. The rest of you can go back to your seat knowing, I, I helped the preacher today. I participated. And that's what counts. So are you ready? Like, I don't mind how many people there are, but I'm, I'm up for 10. And how it's going to go, you just come when you're ready. I'm just going to explain the game. It's going to start with you having to put the Bible on your head, okay? And then I'll give you the Bible reference, I'll say, it's this book of the Bible, it's this chapter. You're so slow off the mark, I can't believe it. Right, okay, it's, it's this book of the Bible, thank you. Come on, Ewan, yes. Um, it's this book of the Bible, it's this chapter, and it's this verse. But you can't start looking. I'll then say, that's right, you're very welcome, sir. You're very, and then I'll say, three, two, one, go. You've got to get the Bible off your head flick to the verse, genuinely find it, and I will check. And when you found it, you take one big step forward and you start to read, okay? You don't even have to finish the whole verse. I just want the, the first sentence, all right? Let me just check. Hang on a sec. Okay, well, you don't have to balance it strictly on your head, but can I just see? Okay, hold your Bible on your head. And I would like you to find, in your own time, but we will congratulate the winner, Joel, see it's not, it's not easy, is it? Joel, chapter 2, wait. <laughs> you can see John, can't you? He's already thinking. <laughs> Try to use, you know, get the fingers in there somehow. Are you going to say no? No, not yet. In a minute, yes. yes. Joel, chapter 2, and verse 32. Okay? Joel 2, verse 32. On your marks, get set, go! 
Oh! You've got to read it. Go on. Thank you, William. Oh, congratulations. It was a, it was a photo finish. But the instruction was step forward and start reading. So the gold medal, you can get silver, you can get bronze. The gold medal goes to Will. Thank you, everybody. Wonderful. Now, in the rush of the excitement of the game, just remember, it was Joel chapter 2, verse 32. And it says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I think this is a verse that really excited Peter. I think it really helped Paul. And I think it really helped people share their faith in the very first century. And it's going to help us uh, to do the same. So that could even be your, your memory verse this week. That can be the, the subject of a picture you draw or, or some coloring that you do. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now we're just going to have a little bit more fun with it. A bit more audience participation uh, to see if you can recall. It's not tricky now, is it, to recall that? But let's just let's just see if we can say it together. Okay, it's not too cringeworthy to do that. I'm going to make you do it anyway. Okay. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, hold that. I'm going to say it, and I'm going to leave a pause, and I just want you to fill in the gap. Okay. Yeah. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Okay, let's try that again. Everyone who calls on. Okay. How does it go? <laughs> Everyone who. Calls on the name of the Lord. Every. Brilliant. Amen. Hallelujah. If the band could come back up. Um, all right, I'll just find my place again. And we're basically just going to go through, uh, go through that verse. I'll, I'll show you how it kind of corresponds to different things in, uh, that Peter was uh, sharing uh, to, uh, in that message. And I think he was wanting to uh, unpack that verse for us, amongst maybe lots of other things. And we might ask a number of questions. This, this, really, this verse shows us what, what is so good. What is so good about what Jesus has done? What is so wonderful about becoming a believer in Jesus? And even how? What is a Christian? How do you become a follower of Jesus? That's all being answered today as we go through. And we're just going to go through a bit at a time. Okay. Uh, a few, I'm just going to pick out a few words. First of all, you'll notice and you'll remember that it begins, everyone. Everyone. This is answering the question, who is this good news for? And the answer is everyone, not just someone, not just a few people. This is true for everyone. Everyone who was hearing Peter that day, everyone who might be described as uh, fellow Israelites or residents of Jerusalem, but everyone extends far beyond that. You know, sometimes the word everyone can be used a bit too loosely, like an episode of Friends where everyone was just six people in a flat 
in Manhattan. It's like newsflash. That's, that's not everyone. Sometimes there can be places that we might go, different venue, nice cafe here or something else, and everyone is welcome. But then you kind of look around and you think, really? Really? Haven't you got to be kind of part of the same crew to go there? It's kind of you know, every club. Every society technically is wel would welcome everyone. But you might step through the door and not feel like you're everyone. Not feel like you quite fit there. This is good news for absolutely everyone from every generation. Just take a look at verse 39. Because that's where Peter clarifies who everyone is. Everyone, it means this, he says the promise is for you, that's right, and your children. Brilliant. It's of lasting significance. This isn't just true for one generation of people. This isn't just true back then, uh, at that time. This is no temporary state of affairs. We're, the Spirit has come, we're now in the age of the Spirit, and that will last until time itself comes to a conclusion. So we might thought at some point we might be sat, you know, if we lived in the past, you might have got here by walking, or if you were wealthy and had a bit further to travel, you might have got here on horseback. It was the, the age of horsepower. Move on, maybe a few generations, and maybe it was the, the age of steam. And I just love you know, going to those kind of country fairs where you wander around a farmer's field and someone, someone, why would you have one? But someone's brought a steam locomotive. You're like, wow, that thing's massive. It must weigh. It does must it's like several tons. And like if they really crank it up, it could go as fast as me jogging. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? I'm sure it could pull a bit of a heavier load. But like the steam engine, everybody. So impressive. And we might think, and it would be wonderful just to go on a steam train, go on holiday and choo-choo, go, go on a steam train, down the track, still going really slowly, but like really enjoying it, looking out the window. Oh, this must have been amazing. The age of steam. And then things moved on a little bit, and it was the age of the combustion engine. People realized that steam, maybe there's a better way we can do it. You know, we've worked out how to ignite petrol. Boom, right, we can, we can make an engine, and that will move us a bit quicker. And we're kind of getting through that, aren't we? We're kind of into the, into the hybrid era and the Tesla era and beyond. And maybe there'll become a point where the, the, the kind of combustion engine is just totally a thing of the past. We've moved on. That was an age. But life has changed. The world has changed. Technology moves on. This is not something. The age of the spirit is not an age that we're going to move on from in all of human history. Um, uh, so the promise, I love this, is, is relevant for every generation all the way up until the great and glorious day of the Lord. That means that people hearing this any point since Peter preached it can go, this is relevant for me, and this is relevant for the little person next to me. Promises for you and for your children. It, it's going on and on and on. I'm, I'm glad that was true. I'm sure for, for my mum taking me to church, and I was that little boy who was told off by other parents or other adults for making too much noise and distraction. And I'll be honest with you, it's because I was. For me, at that time, going to church uh, was totally about making my friend laugh uh, and, and making it through to like drink and refreshment time at the end. 
I can tell you very little about what, what I was taught. There's not much that I can recall about the specific things that I heard, either in an auditorium like this or in children's work. But one way or another, I think my mum trusted that this is true. Not putting, I'm not putting my faith in the church meeting, whether it has children's work or not. My faith is in that God's word is true, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I think that's what my mum prayed for, with no guarantee of what would happen. And there isn't an absolute guarantee, is there? But parents, we can call on the Lord, say, God, could you call? You, Lord, when the time is right, call my children to faith in you. In the meantime, help me to raise them in such a way that they're in a situation where that's, that's possible. And as a family, we were chatting last night over food. We've kind of gone through a few phases of, of family life. Yeah, there has been the phase where the favourite part of the meeting is going up to Bert at the end and asking for a word as original. And that, that doesn't need correction. That's, that's part of fellowship. That's part of being a family. There are other points where I know that one of my children, who will remain nameless, loudly fist-pumped the end of my sermon. Yes! Because it means you can go and get a biscuit. Okay? Just look at who's laughing the most, okay? <laughs> there, are, you know, there are other times when we realise that perhaps one child was a bit freaked out by baptism. And um, we realise after a while, oh, we've not explained it. The loud clap at the end, just totally freaking them out. I think they thought that baptism was like ritual punishment for having done naughty things. Because people would come to the microphone to give their testimony and kind of say, in the language of maybe a five-year-old, I've done naughty things, I must be baptised. Everyone's like clapping loudly, but it's, what? what's going on? Shall I move on? Is that, is that yeah, a loud, a loud nod. Move on. But look, trust God. Trust God. This is true. And it's true for every generation. And everyone, this is good news for everyone from every culture. He'll go on to say the promises for you, for your children, and for all who are far off. This is not, not just about Jews. It was not just about people hearing them that day. This is a, a worldwide everyone that includes people from every nation, culture, and religious tradition. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord uh, will be saved. Not just some people from a certain heritage or a certain background or a certain worldview or whatever. The gospel cuts through every culture and shows us, a need, shows us uh, of our need for a saviour. Not only from every culture, but I'd, I'd argue from the same verse, from every walk of life. All who are far off. For those who might feel forgotten that the world doesn't care about you. For those who might feel far away from God, we can remember that Jesus spent time with people who otherwise would have just been unable to shake off their past life decisions. Everyone knew Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He got no way back through to God because everyone hated his guts. Everyone knew the mistakes he'd made in life. 
and for others. Those who perhaps got caught up in prostitution, just unable to shake off their past life decisions and not filled with the Holy Spirit, but filled with an evil spirit. And religion, it just didn't, didn't cut through. Jesus is good news for absolutely everybody. And sometimes when we've been preaching recently, we've, we've mentioned abortion. Now, why have we done that? Is it just because we fancy like picking a side in a big culture war? No, it's because the gospel is good news for everyone. And we're not so naive to think that when we gather like this, there's nobody in the room who might have had an abortion or might know somebody. And we want them to know there's good news in Jesus for genuine cleansing. The Bible has lots of examples of people who were responsible for killing others. That's what Moses did. Moses was responsible for someone else's death. Paul was responsible for someone else's death. Both at the time, I'm sure if we could speak to Moses, if we could speak to Paul, they would have said, I thought I was doing, I thought I was actually doing the right thing. I thought that was, I thought that, I thought that was right. But I've come to realize since. It's not. Jesus is good news for absolutely everyone. And Jesus is good news for the disaffected young guy who could just sack it all, frustrated at the whole world, and get kind of sucked into extreme right-wing views. That doesn't get God's approval, but God cares. God cares for everyone. God doesn't just care for the world that's presented by the BBC. God cares for absolutely everyone. And so then as God's church, that's, our, that's the message that we're holding out. You know, there's hope for absolutely everyone. You could be responsible for someone else's death. And you could meet the amazing love and mercy of God today. That changes your life. Completely. This is good news for everyone. Let's move on. Everyone who calls. This good news is inviting a response. This is kind of answering the question, well, well how do we respond? How, does, how is everyone being encouraged to respond? By calling on the name of the Lord. There's something for us to do. But obviously, a few, after a few verses in verse 37, the people kind of stop Peter and say, speaking to the, the believers, brothers, what must we do? What must we do then? Well, I've already told you, call on the name of the Lord. Yeah, but what does that actually mean? If we're to receive this good news, what does it mean? Uh, to, to call upon the Lord. He's going to explain that in two ways. Peter replied in verse 38, okay, calling on the name of the Lord, here's two things that come together, two sides of the same coin, if you like. Firstly, repent. The good news. Wakey, wakey. Uh, 
the good news is first of all an invitation to repent. And repentance is this massive life decision, if you like. I, I was heading in one direction. I was totally committed to going that direction. I, I suppose I've just chosen. That's how I'm going to do life. And repenting is realizing that's not the way to true life. It's a complete, it's a complete turnaround and it's a commitment to moving in the other direction. A total change of mind, a completely coming to that point of accepting I was wrong. And, 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 and in particular, I was wrong about Jesus. And so it's a complete change of mind, a change of life. And if you, you might notice here, it's, Peter doesn't exactly mince his words when he's presenting this. Fellow Israelites, in verse 22, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross, on the cross. It's kind of saying to all those who are hearing him that day, Yes, this is God's plan. Jesus died according to God's plan. And it's your fault. It's your responsibility. It was your sin. And for those residents of Jerusalem, cut to the heart, they might be like, well, actually, yeah, we were there during his trial. And we called out, crucify him. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Give us the other guy. We don't want him. Be done with him. Execute. And then they're realizing, as the message develops, what have we done? What have we done? What must we do? What have we done? And so receiving the good news comes to this point. Now we could say of all of us, obviously, obviously we weren't there. Obviously, it wasn't us calling out, crucify him. But as we read through the New Testament, we realize, actually, I'm implicated. It is my sin that Jesus was dealing with. So we could go to what Peter says uh, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3 this time. And read here about what it says of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous. And that's all of us. So repentance, maybe not explained here in detail, but our, our sin, our rebellion, our choice to live life our own way. Peter will say other things like, you, know, you've, you were like sheep, you were going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. And that kind of sums up what we were all doing, how we we're all living. 
I was just committed to my own way. Yeah, it's not exactly, it didn't look exactly the same as other people's, but the key thing was going my own way, wandering off, no shepherd. I know best, it'd be fine. What could possibly go wrong? Believe in yourself, trust in yourself. What a rub load of rubbish. Don't do that. You're not that good. None of us are that good. None of us are any good by ourselves. Don't believe in yourself. Don't even trust yourself. If you know yourself at all, you wouldn't trust yourself. We all like sheep were going astray. But now, by repenting, by totally turning around, and trusting our life to him, this is no longer the kingdom of me. It's the kingdom of God. And so I'm going to follow. Not just following my own whims and ideas. I'm going to follow him. I don't know why he's up there, but I can believe he is right there in Zambia. So let's go for it. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to trust him with absolutely everything. Holding nothing back. It's not Jesus being added in. It's like the ultimate product. He's going to make your life amazing. You know, get your iPhone, then get Jesus. It's like, no. It, well, I don't mind whether you get an iPhone or not. But all him. He's everything I need. And he is wonderfully good news. And that repentance comes with, the second thing, be baptised. Which is not ritual punishment for the naughty. It's this public demonstration. Not just of some subtle change or subtle tweak in life. Well, I started going to church. I started listening to a few podcasts. It was interesting. I started to agree with a few things. It's not subtle. It's, it's total. Old life. Buried and gone under the water. New life in Jesus started. I had the privilege of chatting with someone just last week who said, come back. He said, I, I want to get baptised. Can I get baptised? Absolutely, you can get baptised. We'll give it a couple of weeks. We'll mention it to other, some other people. We'll see else. who else who hasn't yet been baptised, but has repented and believed. Is it time? The answer is, the answer is yes. What, what would stop any believer in Jesus getting baptised to celebrate a brand new life has started? And that might not always be obvious in the room. You're here, you're visiting, or you've started to explore Christianity, and you kind of, you look, maybe at the back of people's heads, or the side of their heads, you, you, but you kind of look around and you get the impression and you kind of think, well, I'm far away. And these people, they all look, they all look pretty sorted. And it's a bit like, do you remember ever thinking, going to school, that the teachers lived at school? That was the only possible explanation. Almost like, almost they had no birth. They had no life. They, you know, they had no family. They, they, they were just, they've just always been there in the classroom and you step away and go home and they're just mysteriously still there being a teacher they've always been one and then after a while you know, it takes a few years to realize like they well back in my day anyway they've, they've got a first name <laughs> i know that's not such a great surprise now is it it's like wow like laura i, I just never knew <laughs> laurie i had a headmaster called laurie great guy anyway that's called a mental distraction. Move on. You can come into a place like this and just kind of think, well, that this strange group of people have just like always been here. Or maybe this strange group of people have just always been nice and sorted and just had to kind of just take that extra little step to get to Jesus. 
rather than this whole life-changing, reorientating decision. And I can tell you, there's no one here like that. Like we've all got our story, haven't we? Those of us who are believing in Jesus, there was the point where we heard God call us. And maybe that was quite uncomfortable to start with because as God is calling, maybe he's calling in the midst of life just going tremendously wrong and we're realizing about stuff about ourselves that we don't like and feeling turmoil. Why? Because God's starting to call us and say, come on, come to me. You need me. I've got something amazing for you. I've got a new life. I've got a brand new start. Eternity awaits. I'm not going to abandon you to the grave just like I didn't abandon Jesus to the grave, you're coming with me into my eternal pleasures. You're going to be with me forever. I'm going to be with you for the rest of your life. I'm committed to your good. Come through this pain barrier called repentance. Because on the other side, you're just, you just know, you know me. And there's so many of us here in that room, that's been our story. And even now, not sorted, not, broken people where well, life isn't easy and we can mess up at times. Now, don't believe that little worm of a lie that might get in and say, everyone else is sorted. You're the problem. No, without Jesus, we're all, we were all lost. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord so who are we calling upon? There are sometimes there'll be stories of people, like every, everyone's an atheist until they're in a desperate situation. And then they call on the Lord. Oh God, if you're there. I wonder how many people have that kind of story. But okay, I've got to call on the name of the Lord. Well, well who? Who am I calling upon? Who is the Lord? I've already said, don't, don't make yourself your own Lord. Don't believe in yourself. Don't trust in yourself. None of us are that good. None of us have everything we need for life or eternity. So the bulk of Peter's message is probably answering that question. The Lord is Jesus. Call on Jesus. At and in that sense, call on nobody else. No one else can save you. No one else has the good news that is in him. So that's what he's going to say. Peter says, look, you even know this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. None of them at that point stuck their hand up and said, what are you talking about? What miracles? What signs? What are you talking about? They, they did know all that Jesus uh, had done. News travels. Or they'd seen it maybe with their own eyes. As Jesus healed or cast out evil spirits. Or raised Lazarus from the dead and then Lazarus is still around. It's just incredible. They knew. So Jesus has done miracles. But he was put to death with the help of wicked men. He was nailed to the cross. Why? Well, as we've said, to deal with sin. In our place, the righteous for the unrighteous. And now God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death 
to keep its hold on him. And then with all the other apostles, Peter saying, and we are witnesses of this fact. You can ask any of us, these 120 people who've just come out of a stuffy prayer meeting, you can ask any of them, and they'll tell you what they've seen and heard. That having ascended and been exalted to heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, he has sent what has just been poured out amongst us by the Spirit. The evidence of Jesus being alive is right here before you in a people who are utterly transformed and seem to be strangely joyful. For no apparent, I mean, who is joyful at nine o'clock in the morning? For no apparent reason, these people seem to be delighted. And these people seem to be emboldened. And the people, they've, they've gone out into the street and they're declaring the praises of God in regard to someone who was crucified a few weeks ago. How does that actually happen? But look, isn't that a provocation to us as believers? You know, call out on God for more of his Holy Spirit. Don't reckon that you've received everything that he wants to give you unless you are this awesome, perfect embodiment of inexpressible and glorious joy that just always bubbles up and explodes out of you. Unless that's happening all the time. Come, let's pray. Let's seek God. There's more for us to receive. There's more for us to know. Poured out amongst us by the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Not might be saved. Not might just have a vague hope of a possibility. But will be saved. And maybe this is answering the question, well, what, what do we actually receive? What do we get? What comes our way by calling on Jesus? Very briefly, forgive me, it's not explained better. But this is his encouragement. Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, that's the name we're calling on, for the forgiveness of your sins. And not just some of them, but absolutely all of them. Like, are you just dogged by accusing thoughts in your mind, in your conscience? You know you did wrong. You know you blew it. You know you've messed up. And it nags at you. It's not how you present. You present as one of the one of the beautiful people. You, you're kind of trying to present as, I'm, I'm doing all right, I'm doing all right, life is sorted. I've made some good choices, come on. But really, you kind of know. Or maybe it's totally obvious to everybody else. They blew it. Be careful of that one. And with God, if God could come to a murderer like Paul, or a murderer like Moses, cleanse them and use them for his purpose. He can do that for you. Whatever age you are, whatever time of life. God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son to save you. To, to wipe the slate completely clean, to take all of your sins, take all of my mess, and like 
Remove it as far as the east is from the west. This eternal direction. You could go searching for it, if you like, but never find it. So powerful is the work of God in Christ to bring about forgiveness of sin. You might have made some choices in life and think, there's no way back for me now. Yes, there is. All you've got to do is call on the name of Jesus, trusting he'll forgive you and give you a brand new life. Now, sometimes I think what we do, those of us who might already be a bit familiar with this message, is we kind of stop there. And we say, Jesus is the way to get your sins forgiven. He's the way to have a, a kind of brand new start. You can become a new creation. And, and, and we might not use the language of ticket for heaven, but that might be slightly in our mind. You know, you, you're in. One day when that time comes, when you pass away, or Jesus comes again, then you'll experience the good news. At that point, the good news is you'll get to go and be with him in a new heavens and a new earth for eternity with eternal pleasures. And that is true. But I wonder sometimes if we don't go on to say the very next thing. Or maybe it takes us months, years. Someone comes, responds to the gospel, they repent, they receive this forgiveness. And then years later, they might be told, oh yeah, well, if you try really hard, if you kind of hit some magical spiritual sweet spot, then you'll, then you'll receive a bit more. Now for Peter, it's all part of the same sentence. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Sometimes I think what stops people responding to the good news in Jesus is they think they might get this brand new start, but still think that they have a God who's got his arms folded and is just looking to see whether you make some more mistakes whether you blot that copybook in the future. I couldn't possibly, I can't live as a Christian. I, could, I don't think I could do it. All based on the misconception that God's just standing back waiting for you to fail. And it's like, no. You respond and he's got more for you. He, he, he's got the Holy, he's going to give you the Holy Spirit so that you've got the Holy Spirit inside you helping you do life, helping you change. The things that used to appeal don't appeal anymore. Because you've got God helping you. I can remember, I remember someone sharing about uh, a church leader in India and knew, just knew, as people responded to the gospel, he couldn't wait another week to say, come back, you know, come back next week, come back next month and I'll tell you about the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you how you could be filled. It's like, no, I can't. They're about to go back into a world worshipping all sorts of different idols, caught up in a culture for which Christianity is just like the strangest, most quirky, weird lifestyle choice. And the pastor's thinking, I'm going to send you back out into that world what, with, without the help of the Holy Spirit. So people will be responding to the gospel and to be praying for them to be filled. Why? Because it really matters that you have the help of the Holy Spirit if you're going to live life out there for the glory of Jesus. But live life in the comfortable West, you'll be all right. You don't need the Holy Spirit yet. You leave it for weeks and months. There's going to be a response. I'm going to worship in a minute. Um, like, as though we've kind of got that kind of luxury. Well, there's a general Christian heritage out there, so you can kind of get along if you're, you know, just 
be nice and kind and smile, nothing will go wrong. So no. That's not the world that we're going out into. We're going out into a world that just thinks that Jesus is either weird or one of numerous choices and it would be terribly wrong of us, it would be terribly bad of me to say to the guy knocking on my door yesterday or the day before from Extinction Rebellion, oh, that's interesting, right. Um, I didn't really do it brilliantly. But I thought, this conversation is going to involve me talking about Jesus. He's trying to save the world, this guy who's knocked on my door. I want him to meet the man who's achieved it. It was a flimsy conversation on my part. I hope to be better prepared next time. I cannot tell you that I led him to the Lord. I just wanted to speak about Jesus. Have you considered the claims of Jesus? I should have asked more questions. There could have been loads more I did. But it matters that people encounter Jesus. They're only going to encounter him through a church that's received this wonderful good news and is filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Are you ready? Let's stand. We're going to worship God together.